The reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 to 17, and then chapter 7, verse 9, to chapter 8, verse 1, and that's page 1237 in the Church Bibles. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Moving on to chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Thanks, Debs. There's plenty going on in those couple of chapters. Uh, So let's pray for God's help to understand it together. Father in heaven, we do give you thanks for an opportunity to gather as your people once again around your word. And we pray that as we do, you would help us see what John saw in a way that moves our hearts. Help us not only to understand these things, but help us to grow in our love for you and our love for one another. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. We may remember that last week we began by joining the Apostle John as he walks through this open door into heaven itself. And it's like Jesus in this vision just pulls back the curtain for just a moment, just a short time to give us a glimpse of these previously unseen heavenly realities. It's a vision of God in glorious technicolor. A vision of God in all his regal splendor. And we also noted that this vision is given to us in picture form. You see, the book of Revelation isn't a scientific account. It's not a literal description of historical events that have already happened. What we've got here is a picture book. It's full of big, bold symbols and colorful pictures that take us right into the heart of heaven itself. And so when we come to today's reading and the four horses and and the riders that we see there at the the beginning of chapter 6, here's the deal. I'm not expecting to see those four horses charging down the high street in Long Crendon later this afternoon. We're not going to see that. Because these aren't literal descriptions. They're powerful symbols of God's unfolding judgment in this world. And that's how we've got to approach the book of Revelation. If we're going to get the most out of this book, we've got to understand that it's actually more dreamlike than it is documentary-like. And so come with me, if you would, to chapter 6, as we see Jesus unroll the scroll. Have a look down at verse 1 of chapter 6. I watched, says John, as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. 
You may remember last week that we were in the the throne room of God, the control and command center for the whole universe. And at the center of this vision was a throne. And the one seated on the throne was the Lord God Almighty. And in the hand of the Lord God Almighty is a scroll that has been sealed with seven seals. And the scroll, as we saw last week, represents the unfolding plan of God in both judgment and salvation. And at first, no one was found who was worthy to open this scroll or to even look inside it. And it brought the Apostle John to his knees in tears. But then we read this in verse 7. He went. And the he there is the lamb who was slain. The lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. The lamb is the central character throughout the book of Revelation. It's Jesus It's the one who died for our sin and rose again to new life. And the Lord Jesus steps forward and he takes the scroll from the right hand of his father. You see, Jesus alone is worthy. And John watches on in wonder as the lamb steps forward, takes his scroll. And with each seal that is removed, so we see further and deeper into God's plan of salvation and judgment. And so as we try to make sense of this this vision, there's three headings for us this morning as we watch Jesus unroll this scroll. And the first heading you see up there, the troubles of our time. You see, we live in a world that is full of suffering and full of affliction. And that's what these first four seals describe to us. Four horses, four riders... And four horrors that mark the troubles of our time. Our first horse in verse 1 and 2 represents human conquest. Look down at verse 1 and 2. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a, in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. He was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Now, some interpreters link this horse with the white horse that we read about in Revelation chapter nine, which pictures the Lord Jesus returning from battle in victory. But what I think we actually have here is a different horse and a different rider. You see, these four horses aren't looking forward to a future day when God will judge this world. They're giving us a heavenly perspective of life now. This is a picture of what's going on right now, all across this world. You see, from Genesis chapter 3 onwards, society has been characterized by people who are bent on conquest. Brother rising up against brother. Genesis chapter 4, Cain rises up against Abel and kills him. And it's been the pattern of history ever since. Nation rising up against nation. In a desire to overthrow competing powers. Our white horse is a picture of human conquest. And then secondly, our red horse we see is a picture of war, verse 3 and 4. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him 
was given a large sword. Once again, we do not have to wait for this picture to become a reality. We live in a world that is at war with itself and has been for all of history. Think Afghanistan. Think Syria. This is a heavenly perspective of what is going on right now in many regions of this world. And thirdly, in verse 5 and 6, we come to the black horse, which represents famine and scarcity. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice from among the four living creatures saying, a kilogram of wheat for a day's wages and three kilograms of barley for a day's wage, and do not damage the oil and the wine. The wheat and the barley prices that we read of here are 16 times more expensive than they would have been at that particular time. It is a picture of ridiculous inflation and a world in which resources are scarce. And that may be hard for us to imagine right now, living in our particular context with such an incredible wealth and rich of resource. But for many in our world, famine and scarcity are a daily reality right now. And then in verse 7 and 8, we have a picture of death. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind. I don't know if you've ever seen a dead body before, but I remember walking in on my gran, aged 12 years old, Christmas Eve, she died when she was round our house, and her body was just so pale, so different from someone who was just sleeping. And this pale horse represents death, and it has a rider who goes by the same name. You see, we live in a world where death is all around us, and it's encroaching into our own personal space. You see, some people like to make revelation all about the future. And they lump together these visions and talk about it being someday in the future when this will all happen. But what I think we've got here is actually a picture of a present reality. A heavenly perspective of the troubles of our time. Conquest. War. Famine. And death. Four horrors of our day. But if the first four seals speak of troubles that are common to all people, then the fifth seal focuses on troubles that are unique to the Christian believer. Have a look at chapter 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. The word testimony or witness that you see there in verse 9 is a Greek word martyrium. It's where we get our English word martyr. You see here we have a picture of all those who've been tortured and have lost their lives because of their allegiance to the Lord Jesus. Don't know whether any of you have read the Fox's uh, book of martyrs, but it's a strangely refreshing read. Because it tells the story of numbers of Christian believers who've lost their lives for their loyalty to Jesus. But of course, 
It's refreshing because it speaks of those who have stood by their Lord and their Savior. Whatever people will say, whatever people will do, they are not going to leave the side of the Lord Jesus. And they are now wonderfully with him in glory, as we read in verse 9. And look at what they say. Look what these martyrs cry out in verse 10. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. How long, O Lord? How long until perfect justice is administered? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a question the world is asking in a question that is the world that is full of pain, injustice, and human wickedness. Lord, how long? How long until you come back? And sort all things out. And the answer comes in two parts. In verse 11. Then each of them was given a white robe. And they were told to wait a little longer. Until the full number of their fellow servants. Their brothers and sisters were killed. Just as they had been. Firstly. God is patient. A little longer. We see the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness. Please don't accuse God of being slow in coming back to bring justice. He's not slow. Instead, he's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Our God is incredibly kind. He is holding back that day of justice, the day of final judgment, and he is giving all people everywhere an opportunity to repent, to turn around, and to come back to God, and to put their trust in him. Firstly, God is patient. Secondly, God has a plan. Do you see it there in verse 11? They were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed, just as they had been. You see, God is counting. He's counting those who die for their faith. And when the full number is reached, and we don't know what that number is, God does. But when the full number is reached, God will say, enough is enough. And the end will come. You see, God has a plan. The troubles of this world that are common to every person seals one through to four. And the troubles of this world that are unique to the Christian believer, seal five, are all in the hands of the one who sits on the throne. Isn't that a wonderfully comforting truth? Is there any more comforting doctrine than the doctrine of the sovereignty of God? That God is in charge. And to know that God is in charge and that he is seated on his throne today is the great cushion for our soul. Firstly, we have the troubles of our time. Secondly, we have the fear of final judgment. Verse 12 through to 14. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There's a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. The stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed 
from its place. These verses are full of images from the Old Testament. And they're images that the Lord Jesus picks up and uses in the Gospels in relation to his second coming, his return, and the day of final judgment. A couple of Christmases ago when Caleb was coming up two years old, we had a small fake uh, Christmas tree on a little table, lots of those little sort of glass baubles, and of course Caleb came up, gave it a shake, baubles fall off, smash on the floor. It's just a picture, verse 13. The stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when it is shaken in the wind. You see, when Jesus comes back, he will shake this world in final judgment. And when he does, all those who stand in opposition to him will flee to the mountains, verse 15. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Do you see what is most disturbing in this vision? It's not the four horses and the troubles of our time, as horrific as war and famine and death may be. It's not the stories of the saints who've been tortured and killed for their loyalty to Christ. What's most disturbing is the wrath of the Lamb. And it is a wrath so fierce that it leads to people calling out to the rocks to fall on them and to hide them from his face. What a terrible day that will be to stand before the lamb who was slain, having spurned his love and offer of forgiveness. And the question then that comes in verse 17, it's incredibly important, isn't it? For the great day of their wrath has come. That's the wrath of him who is seated on the throne and the lamb. Who can withstand it? Who will stand on that day? before Jesus and be okay? Well, the answer is given to us in chapter 7 before Jesus opens the final seal in chapter 8, verse 1. And so we have the troubles of our time. We have the fear of final judgment. And finally, we have the joy of our salvation. Have a look at verse 1 to 4 of chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who begin power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Now we need to remember again that Revelation is a picture book. And there are two key pictures here that we have to understand. Firstly, we find the, on the foreheads a seal of the servants of our God. Now, please understand that this seal isn't a physical mark. If we were going to check you on the way into church, I wouldn't find a physical print on your forehead that set you apart as a child of God. A few wrinkles, the odd scar maybe from your youth, but you will not find a mark 
on your forehead. You see, we shouldn't be looking for a physical mark. This is a symbol of those who've been sealed by God, those who've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a seal that speaks of ownership and belonging to the one who made us and saved us. And it is a seal of protection upon God's people. We read the same thing, don't we, in Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14. And you also, speaking to Christian believers, were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You see, we do have a seal. It's not an outward mark. It is an inward reality. God himself, the third person of the Trinity, coming to live within our heart, to take up residence within the human heart. And by his power, he will keep his people until that final day and through judgments into eternal glory. We have a seal, which is the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And secondly, we have a number of those who've been sealed. Then I heard the number of those who'd been sealed, 144,000. It's a number which, again, we should take symbolically and not literally. We're not to think like Jehovah's Witnesses do, that there'll only be 144,000 people in heaven, or there'll be some elite category of Christian that numbers 144,000. John hears the figure, right? He hears 144,000. But what does he see in verse 9? It's a different perspective of exactly the same scene. What does he see? After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You see, I could count to 144,000. It would be pretty boring, but I could get there. I will not be able to count the number of people who the Lord gathers around his throne in glory. The number will be too vast. 144,000 is a symbolic figure which represents the full membership of God's people. Twelve tribes in the Old Testament times twelve apostles in the New Testament. 144 times 1,000, which is a number of great magnitude in the book of Revelation. Do you remember back to God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15? We take some outside. Abraham, have a look at the sky, the stars. Can you count them? Can you? And the promise? So will your descendants be. It's a promise that finds its final fulfillment in chapter 7, verse 9. A great multitude that no one can count. Every nation, tribe, people and language. And do you notice what they're doing in verse 9 and 10? They're wearing white robes, were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to the Lamb. Just like those who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem as king shortly before his death, celebrating the arrival of the king, we've got another celebration of the same king, but this time in glory. 
And what do they shout? Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. And so we come to our final question in verse 13. Do you remember our first question? How long, O Lord? How long until you bring full and final justice? Answer, be patient. Because God is patient and God has a plan. Second question, who can stand on that day? Who will stand before the Lamb, before the throne, and be okay? Answer, those who have trusted in the one who gave himself for them at the cross. And then we come to our final question in verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, some authors believe the great tribulation again refers to a future day of incredibly intense persecution. And things may indeed get worse as that day approaches. I think the Bible does indicate that. But I'm more inclined to to believe here that this great tribulation refers to the entire church age from the ascension of Jesus after his resurrection to his return. You see, you would be a brave person to say to those suffering Christians in Syria, Afghanistan, the thousands that have lost their life that they've not come out of a great tribulation. It covers the whole of the church age from the ascension of Jesus until his return. Do you see, whichever it is, they're clothed in white as a symbol of purity and victory. And instead of hiding from the presence of God, instead of calling the rocks to fall on them, they are now sheltering in his glorious presence. Verse 15, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Remember last week we saw Jesus pictured as both the lion and the lamb. He's both. This week we see Jesus pictured as both the lamb and the shepherd. He was slain for us like a lamb. And he will lead us like a shepherd to springs of living water for our eternal refreshment. And on that day. That great day of refreshing, of renewal, of restoration of all things. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. You see, we're not just saved from God's wrath. We are saved for a glorious eternity with him where we will be eternally satisfied in the presence of our shepherd king. And in view of what we've looked at in these few chapters, there is only one appropriate response. And it's there in chapter 8, verse 1, as Jesus opens the seventh seal. Half an hour of stunned silence. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. 
This is a vision of God and of his eternal purposes for all of human history that will bring creation itself to a standstill in awe of the one who made all things and gave himself for all things. So why don't you take a moment now in the quietness of your own hearts as you too stand in awe of God and what we learn of him in these few chapters. And then we'll sing together before we close.